Good morning again. We are continuing our series called Stand Strong, uh, where we're unpacking the truths found in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul tells us that we are in a battle. Not a battle against one another or other people, but a battle against the spiritual battle that we're in against the devil, the schemes of the wicked one. And that we need to stand strong against these schemes of the enemy and put on the spiritual armor of God. And Olivia started the, the series out last week, and we're going to begin it uh, or continue it this morning. But as we begin, let me present to you this question. And I'm going to say a sentence, and I just want you to answer it how you would answer it. But essentially, something like this God, there's two things I want from you. Please let them happen in my lifetime. So as you think about that, how would you finish that? There's two things I want from you, God. And no, you can't wish for more wishes, it's not an option. God, there's two things I want from you. Please let it happen in my lifetime. As you think of that, maybe some of you think of, well, I would love wealth, or I would love health, or maybe something regarding your, your children, or career, or a spouse. Whatever it may be, we probably would all have slightly different answers from one another. Here's these two things I want from you. We also find this very question in one of the wisdom books of the Bible, which is uh, Proverbs. And the, one of the writers of Proverbs, uh, a guy named Agur, uh, one of the wisest men of all time, he wrote this very question in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 8. This is what he said. He said, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Give them to me within my lifetime, right? First thing, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, my guess is that many of you in here didn't say, one of the things I want from you, Lord, is just to keep falsehood and lies far from me. And the second thing, that even though we're not able to focus in on the second thing about, Lord, just give me what I need. Give me the only the things that I need. There's some deep truths found in when we need to depend on God. And we're not going to be able to focus in on that, but there's some good stuff there as well. But we're going to focus more on this first thing, which is keep falsehood and lies far from me. And Olivia did a great job presenting uh, the opening of this series last week, where she talked about some of the lies, the falsehoods uh, that the enemy has uh, seeded into our society, and into the American culture, and then also some other things in our own personal life, and some of the, the lies and the falsehoods that comes in us. And, and somehow this writer, over the course of his life, and through his wisdom, and through his relationship with God, he had figured out that there's two things that are really important, and one of them is to keep all falsehood and lies far from him. And so as we pick up, let's refresh ourselves a little bit about the context in which Paul's writing in Ephesians 6 here. This is where we start in verse 10, where Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're going to come back to that phrase in just a second. Be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul's essentially saying it can be easy to think where our battle is is against one another, against people, against that guy you just really don't get along with at work, and he just rubs you the wrong way. Or it's a, that classmate that you have that you see each other in the halls as you walk around your campus and you've never got along and maybe you've done some mean stuff to each other. It's that person that that's the person I'm really against. Or maybe it's like your mother-in-law, like she's the woman that like my battle is really against. What Paul is saying here is that it's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that what our battle is is against other people. And what Paul says is that is not the case. The case is that there are other things in this world. It is the schemes, the unseen spiritual battle that's taking place, that we are in a battle. And Paul's saying we have to wake up to the fact that when you wake up every day, you are in a battle. And it's not against other people. It is against the schemes of the devil. So then he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. And then this is what we're going to focus in on this morning. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And Paul lays out the rest, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, so on, sword of the spirit. But today we're going to focus in on the belt of truth. And the belt of truth is a is a critical component in the armor of God, if not maybe one of the most important. But it's also a very critical component of the uh, Roman soldier's armor in which Paul is referencing at the time. The belt really held up the rest of the armor. It was the foundational piece of the armor, that the sword was lashed to it, um, the spear that you could, the, the Roman soldiers could put in the back lashed to the back of the, of the belt. The belt also had a place that the Roman soldier could hang their, their shield on and rest some of the weight on it. So when they were in battle, they didn't have to hold the heavy shield up the entire time. And so they were able to be much more flexible with that shield, being able to rest a little bit on the hips from the belt. And most importantly, the belt protects very important area of the body. And it would be awkward as a soldier as if your loins were to fall down because your belt came undone. It would be a very awkward place you'd find yourself in the middle of battle. And it's not this glamorous piece of armor. It doesn't have like the nostalgia of like the sword, you know, and like the knights of the round table and knighting each other, super cool. Or, you know, you got this big shield with a really awesome like dragon emblem on it or something. It doesn't hold any of the, the glamorous areas of the armor. It, it is just the belt that covers what you need to be covered and hold everything else up. But the breastplate and all these other things, they, they were kind of hinged on the belt being there, fastened for the Roman soldier. It is very critical that that was there. But also equally as critical as the, the, the physical armor is this metaphorical spiritual armor that Paul is referring to. That the belt of truth, it is critically important. It is crucial in our lives for us not only to know what truth is, but then to live lives full of truth. And as we go back to that one phrase that says that there's these schemes of the devil, another way to look at that word schemes is methods. You see this kind of interchange between various different translations of, of uh, the Greek text. And so if we take that word methods and we take, break it down in the Greek, there's, there's two parts to it. There's meta and there's odos. 
Meta means with, and odos means a road, a method. The, 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 the schemes of the devil is there's a road that he wants to walk down. There's a road that he's going to go. The enemy is a one-trick pony, essentially. And his road that he walks down, his methods, his schemes, is to, if you remember back from Olivia's message last week, and then what the writer of Proverbs knew here was that there's falsehood and lies. And what the enemy wants to do is go down this road into your mind, plant a seed that, that hopefully that seed would develop into a thought, and then it would birth a belief in you. Then all of a sudden that belief, we know that behaviors in our life is dictated out of beliefs in our life. So what the enemy wants to do, the road, the method that he's going to go down is to plant a seed of falsehood or lies in your mind. And as that develops into a thought, well, then it'll be birthed into a belief in our life. And then we'll behave in accordance to our beliefs. And this is what the enemy wants to do. And now we kind of maybe get this picture of why the writer of Proverbs 30, he said, the one thing I want from you guys is just to keep all falsehood and lies far from me. I don't want the enemy to have any type of road into my life whatsoever. And if we think of truth, it's one of the hidden areas in our life because it's deeply rooted in us. It's, it's our moral compass. It's our integrity. It's who we are. It's our beliefs about how we're supposed to operate and live in accordance to God and with one another. And the enemy wants to go down this road in our lives. And we must guard ourselves. The way that we guard against falsehood and lies is to stay far from them, but also to guard ourselves with truth. And truth holds up the rest of the armor. It's really difficult to find righteousness without truth. How can you have salvation without the truth of the gospel? How can you have peace without knowing real truth? And I would say and go as far to say that without the Bible, well, can we really experience truth? I would say that apart from the Bible, truth and knowledge is meaningless. Now, if you ever want to talk more about that, I would love to talk epistemology all day with you about how do we know what we know. But I would say, as we look into this, there's going to be two components. One is that, well, what is truth? If we're going to strap on the belt of truth and we want to live in accordance to truth, well, what is truth? And secondly is, well, if we figure out what truth is, then we must also live within that truth. We have to know how to live that out. And so let me first tackle this first piece here. Now, you could get an entire PhD degree around uh, biblical epistemology and, and revela uh, uh, revelation and how we know what we know, and we don't have time to do that. You don't got six years of time or eight years, and nor do I, okay? But let me give you a few simple things just as you start to begin to develop these thoughts of, I would say that what truth is, is the Bible. The Bible is the infallible word of God. It is our absolute truth. We find meaning, we find hope, and purpose through it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what this is saying is that all scripture, it is the literal words of God. 
It is breathed out by him. What we have today is God's word. It is the absolute truth. It is the object, objective morality to how we live our life. And I know some of you are probably thinking, just like many of us think, it's like, well, how do we know it's really true? Can you really prove that? How can we trust it's this absolute truth? Because many of us, we kind of fall into this pattern of living a life of, there's this myth that you can stay neutral, this myth of neutrality, that, oh, I don't, want to, I don't have to go over here, they believe that, or I believe this. We all have a belief system. And that the Bible is the absolute truth. It is the word of God in your life. If you're not following it, you are following uh, something that is not of truth. So, as we look at this, when we ask those questions, well, is the Bible true? How do we know it's true? You know, is it really reliable? I would say yes, very much so. And let me give you just a, a few snippets of, uh, of my thoughts, and then we'll move on a little bit. But sometimes people can come to the conclusion that the Bible is just like a rule book. That it's like this, you know, maybe like a, a prophet or some really great teacher kind of wrote it, and there's some good things in there, and it's got some, some golden rules and whatnot, and it's kind of this rule book, and we're supposed to follow it, and if we don't follow it, then we're just maybe not going to live the best version of me, and, and so I just want to, you know, be able to be a better person. It's kind of this rule book, and really, that's not what it is at all. Really what it is, it is a letter from God to us that's thousands of pages of how we get to know him understand and how we be in relationship with him and how we're supposed to live our lives in light of who he is, his, the very nature of himself and what he's done for us. Another thing is that the Bible that we hold today is the same Bible that was initially written. Sometimes people come to the conclusion also that what the Bible really is is like some, some developed stories over time that were maybe passed down, and it was kind of like a long historical game of phone tag, that it like started somewhere that like, you know, uh, pineapples are yellow, and as it kind of went through history and all the way to the back of the room, it was like Jesus died and rose again. And it was like, oh, wow, that's cool. There's some really good stuff there. And really what we have today in the Bible that you hold, it is the same Bible, the Old Testament is the same Old Testament that we have uh, prior to Christ. And the New Testament is the same as it was originally written. We have over 5,000 manuscripts of the Bible to date. It is by far the largest, uh, 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 can't think of the right word, is the, the, the largest conglomerate of man, ancient manuscripts that we have on record uh, with any book. There is no other ancient book that has, that has been tested more, that has as many manuscripts that we can go back. We can look at multiple manuscripts and go, if nine out of 10 said this and one said that, well, that one is wrong because we have nine others that would say so. But as you look at it through time and history, we see that all these manuscripts hold up, that they are reliable. We can trust it. You can compare different ones. And also the reliability is found in some of the details, the names that are used in the Bible, the, the roads that are used, the geography, that there's sycamore trees in very specific places that are found no other places. It gets all the details right. The Bible is the most attested and reliable ancient text bar none. 
You can go look at all this and go and figure it out all yourself. There is no ancient text that holds any depth or height of reliability as the Bible. And it starts with Jesus. Well, who did he claim to be? He claimed to be the, the source of life. How did Jesus treat the scriptures? What did Jesus say about them? Jesus said that not a stroke of a pen will be removed. And he goes on and he uses scriptures to fight against the enemy when he's in, tempted in the desert. And I believe Jesus quoted from every single Old Testament book other than maybe one. Jesus saw the scripture as authoritative. He used it authoritatively. And it should also be for us as well. Authoritative. I love what Ravi Zacharias says about the reliability of the Bible. He, he says something to the effect of this, this argument, that there is this confluence of writers, multiple writers over a large span of history, not just a single author, that you look at other ancient uh, holy texts like the Quran, one author. You look at Joseph Smith, one author. But what we have in the Bible, which is incredibly important, is there's a consistence of truth from Genesis to Revelation about the character and nature of God in the person of Jesus. There's a correspondence of fact that you can check from author to author. And this is really important because let me illustrate it with this story. There was once a, a young aspiring academic and he was working his way through graduate school and he finally got to the point where he was writing his uh, doctoral uh, dissertation. He want, really wanted to get his PhD, but he got really tired of doing all the fact checking and research and uh, writing all the sources down and all this stuff. He just figured, you know, it'd be better just to go to like one person who really knows their stuff well and just get a lot of info from them through like uh, an interview and then I'll just write my entire dissertation on that. So this is what he does. He was tired of all the other stuff. And so he writes his whole entire dissertation based off of this one interview he had. And then the, the head of the department came to him after reading. He goes, what did you do? Like, you, you didn't cite any sources. You had no other, anything else. You had this interview with this one guy. And he goes, yeah, I just feel like if you just go to one person, you just kind of get it for, for yourself and write it down. That's the best way to go. And he goes, okay, and he kind of is like, I understand your point, where you're coming from. And he goes back, and him and some other you know, guys kind of mingle and think and read it. And then they come back to him, and they say, hey, we've decided we're going to give you your PhD. We've thought about it and talked about it. We're going to give you your PhD. We're just not going to give it to you in writing. You're going to have to take our word for it. <laughs> There's a, a, a real clear point that you have multiple authors shows a consistency. That there's this consistency from uh, Revelation all the way back to Genesis, pointing to the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's 40 authors, 66 books, pointing to one person. And then there's a single thread. You see this thread of truth all the way through it from the various different authors about the nature of God, the character of God, the person of Jesus, the life, death, ministry, uh, resurrection, and it's not like all these guys got in a room and thought like, well, how could we come up with something like that would make sense over the course of 2,000 plus years? That it's a very important detail that the multiple authors we see. And if what Jesus claimed about himself is true and the death and the resurrection is true, then what we have in the Bible, the very manuscripts that we have is unparalleled, unprecedented, uncontested, absolute authority in our life. 
And it really leaves us, as you look at all the facts and the things about the Bible, it leaves us with one question, which is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And here's what I know, is that there, there, are, there are some of us here in this room that, that we have turned away from the absolute authority of the Bible and thought, you know, uh, I think it's got, it's, it has it wrong, and really you should live this way. It's okay to do this or that. I don't really need to take my life lessons just from the Bible. And I would say that you have to. Without it, you cannot find truth. That it has the ultimate and full authority on how you should live your life and how I should as well. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We must embrace the truth of the Bible, what it is how it came to be, the validity, the reliability, how it's been tested, how it's been put up to place, show us error where we find it. Scholars, historians, people who study linguistics and archaeology have tested it, and we've come to the conclusion that at minimum, minimum, it is a very reliable historical text. I know that it holds authority in our life, which means that if that is our authority, that is our truth, that is where truth is found, we must base everything upon that truth, we also must live within that truth. You can't just say it is truth and then not live within it. We must live and base our lives upon the very absolute truth that governs our universe and our world and your, and your life. We must have the words of God that is breathed out by God. It must be uh, lived within us and it has to be rooted in us, which means we have to open the Bible and read it and understand how does God say I should live my life and love him and love other people. What are the very things that it says? You can't just rely on a guy on stage. It'll never, it won't work for you. You have to open it and read it. And there's a lot of debate about like, well, what version of the Bible's right. Should you read the NIV or the NLT or the ESV? The message gets a bunch of you know, uh, hard rap against it. You know what the best version of the Bible is? The best version is the one that you read. It's the Bible that you read. And there's a truth to that because sometimes we just forget to read it. But in order to experience the truth of the scripture, the living scripture, we must read it. We must take it in. And without it, we're really not putting the belt of truth on. And everything else hinges. Oh, I love faith, or I love salvation, or peace. You know, whatever it may be, without the truth, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't stack up. We must live within that truth how God has spoken to us, to know him, to understand his will, so we live lives full of truth and integrity. So here comes to the this second point about truth, is we have to live within it. It's really important to have honesty, truthfulness, and integrity. Why? Because, first of all, every single relationship that you have, whether it's a business relationship, a marriage, a, a parent relationship, a friend, whatever it is, everything is built on honesty. And integrity. Without it, you undermine the relationship completely. Integrity, uh, the depth of integrity that you have, the true north compass of your own life is very important. 
And there'll come a time in life for all of us, and many of us have experienced this. And for you young leaders in the room, there will, always, there will come a, a point in life where your integrity is tested. You'll find yourself at an impasse where your integrity will be tested. Whether it's you're a business person or you're a mom or a teacher or a student, your moral compass will be tested time and time again. Now, whether this is with a relationship, will your integrity and morality be tested? Will this be in a business deal? Will this be with your spouse? However it takes place, your integrity will be tested. And Paul tells us to stand firm in the, in the truth. Maybe there's a young leader in here right now. And I just want to tell you, your integrity will be tested. That maybe you've worked yourself into a position, you've worked hard, and you, people applauded you, and they cheered for you along the way. They were excited for you, but now you've been placed into some type of leadership. Someday, all the applauding goes away. And what was once applauded now is expected. And when it's expected, you will come to an impasse. Of now with the expectation, there's pressure. And with that pressure, your integrity will always be tested. Because now there's no longer applauding. It's just expectation to deliver. And it can be easy to think, oh, i got to live up to the expectation and the pressure so maybe I can cut corners this way. Or maybe I can lie about this. Or I can, these people that I'm leading, what if I led them just to do something slightly different? Your integrity will be tested. And it's the depth of character and it's the depth of integrity and the truthfulness of the word of God that you've placed inside you that says, here's some boundaries that I'm never going outside. A great way to do this is, sounds kind of morbid, but uh, Andy Stanley says that what uh, young people should do is, is write their obituary. <laughs> sounds a little bit morbid, but try and boil it down to what are like the few words that you want to be remembered by. Just a few words that you want to be remembered by. And he says, most people, when they do this exercise, they come to like five, six, seven, eight, nine words, whatever it is. And those are the words, the very things that you're like, I want to be remembered as, you know, loving or caring. I was a caring person or I had integrity or I was honest, whatever it may be. That then becomes your invisible barrier that you never go outside no matter what. We should have a depth of character and integrity and truthfulness to knowing what the Bible says for our lives. As a parent, our integrity gets tested every day, doesn't it? Every single day, your integrity will be tested. Why? Because your children watch you. And what you say, this is how you behave, this is how you live, this is what you should do, this is what the Bible says, this is what God says. They take it in, they hear it, but then what do they also do? They fact check it to see if you live that way as well. And every day, your children are watching you. Do you live that way? What's your character like, Mom? What's your integrity like, Dad? This is how you say I should live? Do you live it for yourself? A study from the University of Washington came out in 2005, and it was published in the Journal of Adolescent Health. It uh, claims this, and it found through a lot of research and medical study um, that parents who smoke, that their kids were twice as likely to smoke, to also pick up the habit of smoking. Now, here's the critical piece of information with this. They said that it, it wasn't the attitude towards smoking that made a difference. It was just the behavior. They made a very clear distinction here, that even if a parent said, never do this, this is really bad, you know, uh, 
uh, this will harm your life, whatever, you'll get lung cancer and die, whatever it is. It didn't matter the attitude toward it, it was just the behavior that they found. And then they published, you know, some other work, but let, don't let this be like a kind of a, a rag or a downer on anyone who smokes. Let me make a larger point with it, is this. It's not necessarily your attitude towards scripture, it's do you live scripture. That children watch. We have a, a command as parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever you want to call it, friends, to grow our children right, and they're watching every day how does your integrity stack up to the very things that you tell me? Your integrity will be tested when you go pick your children up from kids' ministry and when you're trying to turn out on division. <laughs> your kids are watching your actions. They're not just hearing your words about marriage, money, habits, lifestyles, behaviors. They're looking at your actions as well. Living lives of truthfulness and integrity is critical in a Christian's life. It holds up everything else, and everything rests upon it, which uh, is why we must live lives of integrity. Here's what Andy Stanley also says. He says uh, that uh, who you want to be, you must decide who you want to be before you decide what you want to do. I've shortened this to make it nice and sweet for you. It's the who before the do. Can you say that with me? The who before the do. That's it. You'll remember that forever now. And here's the point behind it, is that most people figure out what I want to do with my children or my kids or what I want to do with life or what I want to do with my career and who I want to do it with. I'll figure out my relationships and what I'm going to do before or without taking consideration who I want to be. And what we should focus in on first is who I want to be because our beliefs and our behaviors is going to ultimately dictate what you're doing and who you're going to do it with. The who before the do. Let me talk to you about a story in the Bible. It uh, comes out of the, the book of Daniel. You know who the main character is? Daniel, right? And Daniel was a wonderful young leader. Here's Daniel's story. He was a foreigner in a land. And through a lot of hard work and dedication and living a life full of integrity, he rose to power. And King Darius really liked Daniel. So he figured, I'm going to promote Daniel into this, essentially this statue of your governor over everything. And then there was other young leaders and also some older leaders as well who didn't like it that Daniel was, got promoted and they didn't. Whether it was I'm older and I've worked here longer and harder and you got promoted for me before me, or it was a young, a young leader who saw him and they were just jealous that you know, he had worked harder or whatever it was. So they set this uh, plan in motion that they were going to dig up anything that Daniel had done bad. They were going to find any uh, lack of integrity or character in his life and they were like the tabloids. They were like, you know, the, the investigative journalists at the time. We're going to figure out that one relationship. We're going to figure out that one business deal. We're going to figure out that one secret that no one knows. And we're going to bring it to light. And so we're going to destroy and tarnish your career, your integrity, and your character as a person. I think we can see that take place all the time throughout the last recent years, haven't we? People who've rose to power in a variety of settings. And then most people end up being remembered based off of one lapse of integrity. And then that's how they're remembered. 
And these guys, they wanted to figure out that one lapse for Daniel. So in Daniel 6, verses 4, this is where it starts. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charge against the man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of God. Here's what they figured out. In him, he was full of character and integrity. So the only way they thought they could trap him was if they tricked King Darius into signing a new decree that says uh, you can only pray to the king and you can't pray to any other gods, including the God of the Bible. Because they knew Daniel prayed three times a day in public. They knew he would go against this and that he would get thrown into the lion's den and eaten and killed. So they developed this plan. And Daniel found out about this. And he was at an impasse too, wasn't he? He could skirt this easy. He could easily just go, well, instead of praying you know, in public with the windows open, I'll just pray in my head. Just kind of thoughts going up there and I'll just pray up there. I'm still praying to God. Or I'll just pray in my bed at night with the lights out. No one will see. I can still pray. But if he did that, that would be a compromise to his own personal integrity that said that he was a man who prays and people saw it. So here's what we read in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And maybe you know the rest of this story. He did that even, though he could have skirted around it. And then what took place is the king was so saddened, he threw him in the lion's den. King comes back the next day, and God had saved him. The lions were nice purring asleep, and he rescued Daniel. And then uh, King Darius signed a new decree that said, you will only pray to the God of Israel. A whole nation was turned from their morality to the God of the Bible based off of one man's integrity. Let me urge you to decide who you will be every day before you decide what you're going to do. Who will you be today? Who will you be tomorrow? Being trustworthy, true, having a depth of integrity and character is incredibly important. It holds everything else up. Everything rests upon your honesty and your trustworthiness. Let me urge you to decide who you're going to be in every situation. The belt of truth is foundational in our lives. And I believe that God can change your families the very people in your life who need to know him and experience him. People will see how you live. And you might have to take a step back sometimes like Daniel did, getting thrown into the den, right? But God is faithful and he values integrity. And he will reward integrity and trustworthiness and truthfulness in your life. Love and cherish the scriptures that we have that it is the authority in our life and that we must build our life upon it, root those words deep in our heart and live lives full of a depth of integrity based upon God's word. Here's what I also know as we close really quick is that none of you think lying's okay. Anyone here feel like lying's okay? I didn't think so. 
One message isn't going to turn your heart from all of a sudden thinking telling the truth is right because we already know telling the truth is right. No one in here thinks, I love lying, except maybe some sociopath or something. But we all believe that. What it takes is not a message of words saying, tell the truth, don't lie. What it takes is the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit bringing to light areas in your life that you don't have integrity in, the areas in your life that you know are not trustworthy. It takes the Holy Spirit to change one's perspective of lying and truth-telling. And let's pray right now, and I believe that God wants to do that in your very life, to live a life full of integrity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we just pray right now, by the, your Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you bring to life the very things in our life that are falsehoods, that are lies, that need to bring to light that we might live with integrity and truthfulness, that those would come out into the open. God, would we also love, value, and cherish your word? Might we live every day in accordance to what you say? that we would love you and love people well. We love you and thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Nate, for that great message on the belt of truth. If you'd like some prayer today, we have an amazing prayer team that would meet you right up here and agree with you in some prayer. Also, if you're new here, I'd love to get connected here at North Church. I'd love to meet you right underneath this monitor over here for First Connect. Love to meet with you and get to know your story. Otherwise, have a great day, everyone.